What's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning in for the first episode of The Good and the Bad. Um, I got Alex Wong here, my really, really good friend. Perfect. Um, yeah, well, so let's start at the top. Why did you name this episode, You Can't Sit With Us? How does this relate to your story? I think that's a really cool title. Definitely a lot of layers there. Curious. For sure, man. This is going to be a loaded episode, and it's pretty much going to be about a time in my life where I really just wanted to fit in really, really bad, and all the things that I did to try and fit in, and I'm going to tell it through childhood, through high school, through college, and I think a lot of people have a chip on their shoulder with this stuff, so I want to talk about it. You know, what does it mean to be 100 and take control of your life when the life you're living doesn't make sense? Awesome. Cool. So, sounds like we got a good amount of things to, to uncover. You mentioned high school. You mentioned a couple themes. Where did these themes begin to emerge? Yeah, man. I'm going to get straight into it. So, I think it's the clash between Asian culture and American culture especially in Orange County, a place that's very heavily privileged, Caucasian, and it was a bubble. So if I think about how I grew up, you know, my fam would be telling me, keep your head down, don't be too loud, work hard, and be humble. And there's nothing wrong with those values. But I remember at the dinner table, we'd be talking and the questions would be, are you hungry? Are you full yet? And how was school? And that would literally be the three questions that my mom would ask me every single day. And I felt like my culture didn't belong. How I was raised up at home, the things that I brought to school for lunch, the ways that I interacted with my mom didn't really fit with how the other kids did. So for example, I freaking bought, I love rice balls. I love rice balls now, but I bought rice balls to school and I was dipping that shit in sesame seeds. And all the kids around me would be like, yo, what, what the hell are you doing? What are sesame seeds? And I was like, if I were to talk to those kids now, I'd be like, bruh, let me tell you, sesame <laughs> seeds and salt, like that shit is bomb. And let me throw in some shredded pork there, too. Have you, Let me culture you. Yeah, and, <laughs> some uncultured swines that don't know what what's, what's the rice balls about. Exactly. So I got made fun of for stupid shit like that, and I just became really self-conscious and um, ashamed of my culture. And being Vietnamese, when you speak that, you, you sound like a chicken. And it's not the most glamorous language in the world, but um, every language is its own language, and it's beautiful in its own respect. But... When you're that young, those things really cripple you. All right, guys. So I actually need to interject on my own podcast right here and tell you guys what's up before we move forward. This point in my life really fucked me up. From elementary to high school and to college, all this was subconsciously me wanting to be white and do things that were in with white people. Without me even blatantly admitting it, that's that's the black hole that I fell under. And it, it, it's, it wasn't a good feeling doing this, but I wanted it so bad because I just wanted to fit in. And so this episode is about the foundation and beginnings of me 
defining my individuality. And it took me all the way to almost the end of college for me to start that. I think this is something so important to share because I know that it's it's hard sometimes to figure out what what is it that you want to be. And I think about why people join fraternities, why they click up with certain people. Why do they do the things they do when they don't even want to do it? Why do they go out when they don't even want to go out? I spent a good chunk of my life thinking about what should I say? What should I wear? What should I do? And what should I like? And will it get the approval of others? And that that didn't do any good for me, but I think that it's really easy to fall into that because no one wants to be ostracized, right? So this podcast is about talking about how I sorted through that and took the reins, motherfucker. All right, resume. I think being in a environment in which you are very, very clearly the minority, and not only are you the very clear minority, but it is also very clear the contrast between the majority versus whatever minority group you represent. And in this case, the majority group is going to be white America. And so there are certain habits, lifestyles, cultural influences that are going to be present in a situation in which you acknowledge kind of this reality. And you're just like, wow, like I feel much more of a minority here. That feeling is much more apparent than in everyday life. But like if you're at an event and you're just like, there are a hundred people in there were maybe three people minorities and it's just like wow and everything that's happening in your atmosphere at that time is like not related to a minority like yeah it's a little bit overwhelming yeah it's overwhelming <clears throat> it's not over overwhelming i think is is maybe not the most appropriate term here i think it's just more the contrast is so stark you can't really get over it it's like you you have a uh, you're eating a, a bowl of rice and there's, like, a noodle in there. And, like, it just seems so out of place. Even that <laughs> metaphor is yeah. is very specific to a minority experience in America. For sure. Yeah, just... Yeah, I mean, like, tying this back to me growing up, I think that's the experience that I got in OC. <sighs> So damn, dude. This is what led to all of this. I forgot where we were earlier. No, where but this is were? what led to all of this like fitting in thing because it is growing up in a very predominantly uh, Caucasian city. And that does things to you. Uh, does things to me, at least. I think it does things to a lot of people that they're maybe not yeah. aware of. And that, that's why I'm just talking about this stuff. Like, I, I don't mean to disrespect anyone. I'm just talking about this because I think that this is something that I struggled with subconsciously and consciously. And I think a lot of people don't have the space to talk about this or to even process it. So that's a reality. That needs it's to be a reality. Yeah. And I, I bury this stuff up until this point because it's awkward to talk about. But I think we can have 
conversation about it. Yeah, most That's all definitely. it is. Most. I think that high school is a lot of dark times and awkward times for people. For sure. And at this age, I was playing Maple Story. I was eating shit, jumping over hurdles. That's who I was. I was a goober, and I'm probably still a goober today. But you just got to keep it 100. And thanks to everybody who stuck around to see me get this far. This time in high school was a point where I felt like when you're growing up during this time, you just want to be cool. You want to be liked. You want friends. You want girls. You want to be the center of attention. And shit, I never really had an opportunity to latch on to any of those things. So that's really where it started. I think there's always an inherent need in myself to want to fit in um, at that point in time in my life. And still today, but a lot less than what it was back then. And that's where college came into play. When I finally got to college, all this baggage from high school made me want to reinvent myself. And so, this is where rowing comes into play. So I chose rowing as a sport. Why did you, why did you choose rowing among the typical assortment of more common sports that some new 18-year-old is going <laughs> to kind of explore? Like, yeah. rowing is very traditionally a northeastern sport for sure dude it's a prep sport right. it's a rich sport so, so why and so i think it's a lot of things so going back to the theme of high school and growing up in orange county it's a more wealthy area a lot of people have a lot more money and a lot of a few of the cool kids did that made them buff as fuck and here i am i'm like okay i have an opportunity to join the crew team i think i should hop on this so at that time, I viewed crew as my access to reinventing myself. Because in high school, let me tell you, I never made the soccer team because I just wasn't athletic enough. It, th that's truth. And then there was also track and field um, where I did hurdles. And I did hurdles because I couldn't make the sprint team because I was too slow. <laughs> and so <laughs> I did hurdles. And every single time before a hurdles race, I'd be like fucking preparing for my death because I was like, shit, I got to jump over 10 of these hurdles. And these things are about like, it, it, it's higher than like, it's definitely like two thirds of my body. Like, holy shit. Like, how am I going to do this? And when people go through hurdles, they three step. I had to five step because, you know, I got... I'm a short-ass dude. Like, I can't do... I'm not a praying mantis. So, <laughs> you know, all of that aside, rowing was an opportunity that I thought I could latch on to for status and credibility. So what does status and credibility mean? That is everything related to fitting in. It's if you are um, an athlete and you have some kind of a status, people are going to like you. You know, you're going to have that, that, like persona that everyone gravitates towards and that's what I wanted I just wanted to be I wanted a brotherhood I wanted a crew huh. and I wanted to protect myself I wanted a tribe and that's what happened so it's kind of funny looking back at it because I joined a club sport and in retrospect I'm just a club athlete and if we're talking about status here that didn't really mean anything <laughs> but yeah I still latched onto it but then I still was like, okay, here's an opportunity for me to join a sport. I wanted to be stronger, physically 
didn't really think about mentally yet. We'll get onto that later. But it was all for status and credibility. Very vain reasons and all the things for the, the wrong reason. Um, but that's where it started my freshman year. So you mentioned just now wrong reason. Curious as to what those were. I think just now you touched on a couple things about kind of chasing legitimacy in a sense or credibility through or rather something that you found within crew yeah so how did crew kind of uncover those realities at the time it it uncovered so many things so I, i i battled a lot of things there was imposter syndrome there was superficiality and this feeling of assimilating to society too because imposter syndrome is man i'm joining this sport do i even belong here yo i'm 58 all these people are 6 foot plus what the hell am i doing here bro <laughs> and then there's also the theme of superficiality um i wanted to be with this crew so hopefully i could have this external look so that people would gravitate towards me and that was all in my head but that's what I fed myself because I didn't get any of that growing up and so subconsciously it's wanting to be white without even realizing it because society whitewashes you without you even realizing it and that's a pressure that a lot of people face without them even realizing that when they grow up because you grow up in America and there are things that are normal culturally for that are different from Asian culture versus American culture. And I'm not trying to draw boundaries here, but I'm saying when I used to go to dinners or birthday parties of people that weren't minority like me, the interactions were different and I noticed it. And I don't know if it's because I was hyper aware, but just how the parents interact with me and the friends, like they talk a lot more. And the way that they elaborate on topics is a lot different than how Asian Americans or at least my family did things. So they'd ask me like, oh, like, how was your weekend? And what kind of things do you like to do? And then they joke around with you. And that kind of threw me off. I was like, what? Like, you're joking with me? Because at home, my mom's just like, hey, like, eat your food. Are you full? Go to sleep or I'm going to beat your ass. So, you know, <laughs> so it's like stuff like that. It's very clean cut. And someone asks you, how was your weekend? I say it was good. And I did this and this. And it's... And it's not that um, articulate, I'd say. I'd say that when I was hanging out with, like, different groups of people, uh, I noticed that the way that we converse was very different, too. So going back to assimilation to society, there's a lot of things that are bottled up into this. But um, essentially, I think this sport was part of um, a more privileged group of people I thought that this would be kind of the end thing as part of my whole entire illusion of what does it mean to get status and credibility. And would you say to get status and credibility that meant to be a part of the kind of the in-group yeah, at large? Yeah, for sure. And so in this case, the in-group... What's the majority of the in-group? Right. In America, it's a well over 60% exactly. Caucasians. But exactly. I think in the sport that you ultimately chose, crew... Man, that percentage is, is much, much higher. And so bro, maybe there's it's like 90%. some connection there. Like maybe For growing sure. up and having that perception or that pursuit in a sense and being able to achieve that or be on the same level. Mm-hmm. 
kind of within that first year of college. I think that makes a lot of sense there. Yeah. And then I imagine from your first year to subsequent years, there was quite a bit of discovery and illumination upon like who you are, where you want to get to, how you're going to get there, what, what you're going to need to get there and things like that. So for sure. I'm interested in learning learn a little bit more about, I guess, the overall career experience and how that contributed to the ultimate result or the mindset that you arrived at. Yeah, the lessons learned. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's going to be important for me to tell just the whole entire story. I did crew for three years, and for the first year, that was all for the wrong reasons. Again, back to status and credibility. I literally was just trying to make it through my first year to get a backpack. I just wanted the gear. I wanted to be able to make it through the first year so I could be on the varsity squad. And so, because when you get the gear, then you can rock it on campus and you can look like you're one of the squad, of the crew. That's literally what my first year was all about. I was waking up at 5.15, six days a week in very dark times, like literally dark times. Literally dark times. Literally dark times. Son's not even thinking about coming up yet. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of people listen to this and or even back then and be like, damn, like, you must have wanted this really bad. And I did because I wanted to fit in really bad. And I wouldn't admit it to anyone because this shit is deeply rooted in my subconscious, in my upbringing and who I wanted to be. And I was very stubborn. I latched onto this shit. Like, I would do what I need to do to get there. So... Here's my opportunity to do it. And that was year one. Fast forward to year two and three, that's where things started to change a little bit. Um, there was a guy my freshman year, Ben Heiss. Ben Heiss was the captain of the varsity crew. Not even the JV boat, but the varsity boat. He was 5'9", similar height to me then, and he led the squad. He was the stroke seat. When you're the stroke seat, you set the cadence for the boat, you set the pace, and you're basically the quarterback of the boat. And that was an inspiration for me. And Ben, if you ever listen to this, mad props to you because so many people look up to you. That's the reason why I stuck through this for years two and three, because I believed that I could do it. Now, Ben's background was football. He was buff as shit. He was probably standing at 170, 175 on crew. I came into college at 135. <laughs> so I had to basically put on a ton of weight. So years two and three was learning how to get from 135 to whatever way I needed to be and also forge myself into the person I needed to be. But, you know, I realized that the fuel from year one wasn't going to work anymore. There's no way that I'm going to continue to do 515, six days a week with weights in the three days a week in the afternoon with status and credibility. You don't care about that shit enough to stick through something. And so that's what I started to realize in years two and three, which was the camaraderie between my teammates and learning how to ask more out of myself. So years two and three, just sum it, to, sum it up to everyone, I was in the JV boat. I never made the varsity boat. I was in the JV boat. We got our ass whooped by the varsity every single day, and it was a fucking grind. And if, we were, if you were to ask me during those years what I thought about crew, I'd be like, fuck, I don't know. I'd be like, we're getting our ass beat every day, but it's a mixture of the good and the bad. I would want to tell people that, yeah, you know, I only tell them the good things. Like, you know, I'm lifting, I'm getting stronger, 
and uh, you getting your ass whooped every day though. You can, but I never told him that. I was like, yeah, you know, like it's on the team, and I can tough it out. I'm doing weights, and uh, you know, you're on the water. No one can really relate to that. But that's the only part of vanity of status and credibility that I could hold on to. But the bad part is what I never told people. Right, right. So you did crew for a couple years. What was like that journey like from the moment you started crew to the moment that you left crew? I know you mentioned you went into it with the wrong reasons, but by the time you got out of it, it sounds like the wrong reasons kind of got overshadowed by maybe some reasons that were a little bit more legitimate, a little bit more relevant to who you are today as a as a result of kind of the, the maturation process that occurred. All right, pause real quick. I just got to say, maturation? Really, Alex? So you talked about imposter syndrome and, and the, the desire or the acknowledgement that you are trying to be someone that you're not. You've also touched on themes of superficiality and, and the pursuit of that in which you are kind of chasing the association to be a part of the in-group and then, of course, assimilating into, like, the grander society, whatever that means. Yeah. So I guess for the audience, for myself as well, like, out of all these themes that you've experienced over the course of high school, year one of college, and so on, until you were done with crew, there's got to be some... You mentioned you didn't maybe win any medals, but some metaphorical medals that you've taken away that have helped you to be who you are today. Like you are, you are the the, the Kevin of of two thousand eighteen, and like what feeds into that? Like what were those? Yeah, man. Those trophies, in a sense. If I were to look at this immediately out of college, I would say that this was a waste of time. I would say that, damn. Like, I only have one more year of college. But looking back at things, you can reframe anything in, a, in, in, in any way you want. And that's what I did my senior year. Because how, would, how could I go on with the rest of my college knowing that I just wasted the first three years of my college? Chasing something that was partly, well, no, was fully initially driven by status and credibility. And then the second half was trying to pursue the top boat and failing to get there with nothing, nothing to be proud of. From an externally driven perspective and from a very harsh perspective, I could have told myself that I was a failure. I didn't get any medals. I didn't get any kind of recognition. And all of that was a waste of time and that was stupid. Or I could have told myself, which is what I told myself to make it work for me, that I learned a lot about myself in these past three years. And I learned a lot about what being motivated by the wrong thing does to me, which was what fitting in was. I I chose this because I wanted to fit in, and that didn't do any good for me. But through the process of trying to do something like that, there's always something that you can learn from it. And what I learned from this was all the shit that I learned from the sport. So it's the good and the bad. There's some bad things here of trying to fit in, but then there's a lot of good things of what it taught me. I can tell you how to clean and jerk. I can tell you how to snatch. I'll tell you all about German volume training and what they do to get ready for the Olympics. Um, And crew gave me all that. And I'd say 
for the people that are listening, there's going to be times in your life where you feel like you're committed to something for a long period of time and you're afraid to change because you feel like you made a lot of progress and you don't want to waste everything that you put in. That could be a career, that could be a relationship, that could be just the way that you've been with your family or your friends, how you've been acting for a long period of time, and you might feel like it doesn't feel right to change it up and be something different. But that's exactly what I'm trying to convey is that you can always shift and be who you want to be as long as you allow yourself to do that and go after it. So... That's how I'd sum up crew. Um, you know, then I went and had a really good senior year and here I am. <laughs> Shit. Like reframing and, and kind of having that ability to alter how you are looking at a situation or, or, or what your truth is. Like, I think there's definitely a huge amount of value in that and how people lead their lives and kind of you look at something that happens in, in two different ways how did that come out of crew? And as a follow-up, like, how does that influence you to this day now that you haven't done crew for? I mean, I don't know. How was your basketball experience? Did you win a lot of tournaments in high school? Or fuck, I mean, first of all, when I was playing, was that when I was hooping in high school? Mm-hmm. I wasn't really hooping. I was I was riding the pine really really well. And like when I did <laughs> when I did get some minutes. They were garbage minutes. They were minutes that a very insecure and very unconfident Alex was taking advantage of. And ultimately, I was not able to take advantage of that. But now that I hoop now, because I've derived confidence from other domains of my life, like I can hoop in ways that I could never imagine when I was in high school. So I think the relationship here is... I mean, you were on a team that just didn't win a lot. I think that's a understandable reality and, and in some ways indisputable. And that maybe contributed even more to being able to develop the reframing and the perspective building in that sense. Like, when you're winning, you don't have to do that because right. you're winning. But when you're losing that much, it almost comes out of necessity. Like, And I think that relates to the second point is maintaining that discipline to endure something that you care about and then also having the additional quality of grit, which is passion and, and perseverance to achieve that. I think there's definitely a lot of relationship between the two. So I think it, it, it definitely makes sense here why yeah. reframing was so relevant for... 100%. So you said expertise in a domain. And for all the listeners, you probably have a domain that you've dedicated a lot of time in through your life. And that takes a lot of struggle and it really forges your mindset so that's what i got from crew here i lost a bunch of times but life you're gonna lose a shit ton of times most definitely and i'm glad i lost a bunch of times here because this really forged me to be a stronger person i didn't realize i was doing this at the time but i was basically asking myself who do i need to be to perform my best because I was really invested in this sport. And if I extrapolate this to anything that I want to tackle in life today, whether it's a relationship with someone, a friendship, a family, career, who do you need to be? This is the topic that we talk about, be, do, have. Right, for sure. Shout out to Kevion. Yeah, I mean, 
who do you want to be when you're like you're not gonna win I mean most most people are not gonna win all the time in life and so it becomes imperative and highly beneficial to be able to reframe the situations that you're in so you're able to acknowledge areas that you can be grateful in and where you are winning within the larger grander situation of, of maybe not winning and like there's a lot to be appreciative of and I think if you were on the varsity going back to the early examples there wouldn't be the necessity there wouldn't be the diamond that would emerge from kind of the the compression the the, the monumental pressure that you felt of losing which is where you know a crystallized diamond's gonna the surface from so I think reframing is, is a very important lesson a very important ability to have pulled out of something like crew. Yeah. Um, and to be able to apply that in other domains of life. Like, you yeah. know, you, you apply for a job, you don't get it on the first try, mm-hmm. send out 40 resumes and cover letters and you don't get a response back. Right. Yeah, you get you beat sh- down. You get beat down. No but one wants you. Like, here, here's another situation where reframing really helps because it's like, you know, maybe those those 40 opportunities are not the right ones for you. And right. all it takes is 41 to give you an offer. You go back and you, home and you reload. Yeah, and 40 it instantly evaporates. Like, it doesn't really matter in that sense. Mm-hmm. Perspective, I think, is also very similar, but equally as valuable is, is just being a lot more appreciative for the wins that you do get. And just, you know, I, I actually really like this line in, in, in Chance's feature on Cardi B but it's like turning, turning your L's into lessons right yeah. and so like yeah you get you get L's you take L's in, in various dimensions of life but you turn those L's into into lessons and so Boom. that's a perspective thing that I think is something that you've alluded to multiple times throughout your your anecdote of, 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 of crew absolutely going back to who do I need to be to perform at my best so you in basketball or me and crew, that just means that that can mean a myriad of things. That could mean sleeping at a certain time, eating the right things, sacrificing friendships, sacrificing people that you talk to because you're focusing on your craft. And that's what it taught me. I had to make sacrifices to get where I needed to go. And if, we, if I apply that into any other domain, it's going to be the same ballgame. All right, so I actually take back what I said about sacrificing my friends here. That's not what I meant. What I meant to say is that I was sacrificing time with my friends, and it's easy to feel guilty about that. Like My friends are always going to be there. Your friends are always going to be there. But when I work at the sh- extreme or when you work at the extreme, that's really when you're going to learn something about yourself. Uh, and that's how... That's how diamonds are made, baby. I really like what Alex said earlier about the struggle. When there, there's, no, there's no diamond without the friction. And when you work through it, that's how you're going to turn yourself into a diamond. And when you're good in one area, then you dial it back. And that's when you can focus on all the other areas. And that's mind, body, soul, family, friends, business, and money. But just make sure you get the order right. I don't know. Is that something that you felt like you had to do when you were trying to get into, you know, another area? Man, I think reframing and perspective in high school 
that wasn't even a thought. That wasn't <laughs> even a, something that I needed to develop because a high school mind of, of 14, 15, 16 is going to be vastly different from 19, 20, 21. Uh, where I like to think that I learned the importance of reframing your perspective. That's a little bit more in 21, 2, 3, 4. Mm. Uh, maybe more so 2, 3, 4. And just understanding that there's, there's a lot to be appreciative for and there's a lot to be thankful for just in everyday life that extends beyond sports or whatever hobbies that you have. I think just the just the other day I was really thankful that I made my flight on time, that I got space to put my carry-on and things like that because in the 10 flights prior, like, I had situations, but, you know, just, like, little things like that and... and um, that com- that came definitely outside of sport, but is very relevant to sport. Yeah. Same thing for grit and discipline. Grit and discipline, I definitely got and developed and honed when I was in high school. I was that kid that didn't make the team my freshman year, but by the time I was on, I was a senior, I was on varsity. Granted, I didn't get no playing time, but everyone in the school, everyone in the program, my coaches recognized the diligence in which I pursued my craft at the time, mm-hmm. and that is where I discovered, developed, and ultimately deepened my passion for basketball. And out of basketball, I'm able to bring that grit and that discipline and that focus into other areas. To of other life. domains. For sure. I think that's so key. So I want to highlight that right there. And it's the mindset that you have in any domain in your life, you can apply it to all the other ones. So career, how will I make the jump and reinvent myself? Or relationships, going forward, who I need to be? What do I need to endure and how patient do I need to be um, for the other person? And then for family, how can I mend relationships and, I don't know, change the way how we talk to each other? So there's a lot of different ways. It just, how can I be the best version of myself in each of these different areas? And it's a different type of uh, muscle that you flex. And I just want to say, like, this podcast is not easy for me to do. (laughs) Like, this whole entire episode was... It may have sounded easy. I don't know what the listeners think. It's still something that's pretty difficult for me. But in 10 years, I want to look back and be proud of myself for being real. And I think that broadcasting all this shit on hardship on social media is important because we don't always have time or, no, we don't have the space to talk about it. I think, I don't know about you, but I think we go through life and we bottle stuff up and we keep it in our subconscious and uh, we don't really have the time to just talk about this so that's really why I wanted use this episode to bring those topics to the surface so that people who listen to this I'm hoping that you can find some relatability in this through whatever you pursue it doesn't have to be a, a sport but some kind of domain in your life where you're stuck you can reframe it but you came out of it with better reasons it sounds like for sure you went into it with maybe the the poor or less ideal motivating factors, and then out of it, you've discovered other motivations that come from a more positive space, and not necessarily an area of what don't I have, what don't, what don't I got, what am I lacking, and and kind of just understanding and owning all the various puzzle pieces that constitute a unified person. Like you can't take all the good 
you know, never, for an example, in a relationship, you can't just take the good out of your, your partner. You got to take everything. Right. And it just so happens that all of the good easily outweighs all of the, all of the bad. So I think there's, there's some relevancy there. So, like, in addition, so, like, owning yourself, who you are, what else would you say, like, in your journey? Yeah. You mentioned there were a lot of highs and lows, positives and negatives. What would you take out of that? I'd say it's the good and the bad. There's going to be, if I talk about my story from year one to year three, year one was a lot of vanity, status, and credibility. Years two and three was more so about what I wanted out of myself to stick into the sport because I thought that I was making some good momentum and there's a camaraderie to that. So it's never going to fully transition from status and credibility to, oh my God, I'm a new person and I am this person who's confident, dedicated, and I have a better grip around myself and this is me. What happened throughout these three years was that the more positive things of working on myself learning how much I can commit to something and having confidence in that became the main driver of why I want to stick to something. Camaraderie and brotherhood and dedicating myself to the team of wanting to win and actually do it because we're all in it together was something that I was committed to. But status and credibility was always there. I always wanted that too, but it became more of like a byproduct. It, it wasn't enough to keep me in the sport. And that's something that I want to call out because... That's the good and the bad. There's always going to be both sides of things. There's always going to be a little bit of vanity, and there's always going to be the part where that truly keeps you in the game. And I think what I think what people think is that someone is truly pure and they're good, and there's no like corruption or a little bit of darkness in them. But there's always going to be that. And I came out of this with both, but shit. <laughs> That's what it is. You you learn stuff about yourself through getting things, getting into things for the wrong reasons, and, and that's completely possible. That's all I'm trying to say. It, it's a little bit messy, but that's just part of what life is all about, whether it's in the sport, relationship, etc. So tying it all back to when you first explored crew as as something, a vehicle through which you could gain status, gain credibility fit in um you actually in reality came out of that with additional lessons learned so not only were status and credibility i'm sure they were still some some motivating factors but what positives that came out of it were actually much more significant developing both a very strict work ethic developing discipline and allowing within yourself confidence to cultivate through your dedication to crew, through your dedication to your craft at that time. So the title of the podcast being You Can't Sit With Us, not only does it sound like you were able to sit with the folks that you wanted to sit with, I think you were able to overstep that and kind of find your own table to sit with and be comfortable with it as opposed to chasing something that was initially misaligned or misinterpreted as as what your goals should have been. Um, I think a, a fairly clear resolution here is you came out, you, you went into it with 
a narrow perspective, a narrow focus. But when you came out of that narrow tunnel, it was just a lot of sunshine, a lot of positives that came out of it that you didn't initially anticipate. So I think that's, <laughs> yeah, a, sure. that's a pretty good way to kind of bring it all back. What is the wrapped up in a, in a beautiful red bow type, type of takeaway that you get? So I think the mentality used to be, who am I going to sit with and can I sit with you? But now it's all about, you know, I'm just going to do my thing. And if you want to sit with me, that's great. And if not, I'm completely cool sitting by myself. Boom. 